0: The fingerprint of a creator is all around us. As much as there are people who want us to believe that this earth is the product of a giant cosmic accident, the fingerprint of a creator is actually all around us. And as the video said, we're hardwired to see it. George Washington Carver said, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we only will tune in. Love that. In fact, Scripture itself talks about the voice of God in nature. David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world." Psalm 19, 1 through 4. All of creation testifies to the glory of God. His voice is all around us. The fact that some choose not to attend to it does not make it any less real or any less evident. Whether we choose to recognize it or not, the fingerprint of God is all over the natural world and, and most of all in humanity because we alone were created in His image. You see... You're not a product of chance or evolution. In fact, you're not lucky to be here because you're not an accident. Everything about your life is intentional. Every single one of us was created, and at that for a very specific purpose. In fact, the God of the universe put a plan into place for each of us Long before we were even born, we we read about all that last week, you were created in awe and wonder to fulfill a divine purpose, an eternal destiny, which was designed just for you. Now, what does that say about God? And what does that say about you? That the God who spoke light into existence was thinking about you and planning your future in eternity past. The God who the prophet Amos described as he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts is his name, Amos 4.13, He who made the Pallades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Amos 5.8, That is the God who had you in mind in the beginning when darkness was over the face of the deep and his spirit hovered over the waters. He was thinking about you when he separated the night from the day. He was creating a place for you when he called forth the dry land. It was you and me and all of the generations to come that he purposed to be when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 126. Your very life is infused with awe awe and wonder for a very specific purpose. Why would he do all of that? Why would he go to all of that trouble, such a massive undertaking, to create your life and everything around us that is required to support it if there wasn't a great purpose for you to be here? And yet a lot of people flounder through life trying to find their place in this world. I think that's a song. I know people who go from job to job and from place to place, from relationship to relationship, from one grand plan to another, to another, to another, always seem to be unsettled, never really following through with much of anything, because in many cases, they're listening to a lot of different voices in their life. And, and granted, sometimes those voices come in very convincing packages. Some of them claim to be prophetic. Some of them promise a new adventure. Many of them promise a shortcut to where you want to be. But it's just background noise. It's background noise to keep you distracted from the one voice that truly matters. The one voice that created all of this and all of us. Which also happens to be the only voice that can teach us how to live with true purpose. Uh, I can very easily find myself, and I often do, Becoming so busy, busy with important things, that I end up working outside of the purpose that God intended for me. And, and sometimes it takes uh, my wife, who's very often the voice of God in my life as he speaks through her, or a close friend that God will speak through, or, or just time in prayerful solitude with him and his word, and I'll hear him say, time out, time to step back, you're outside of my purpose for you. You're doing something that is not what I created you for. And I'm telling you, in those moments, I have to choose to get back to living with purpose, the purpose that he specifically designed me for, or to continue chasing those other voices that can be so convincing at times, but always lead us away from our true purpose in him. And it's, it's really important that we learn to recognize those moments in our lives because each one of us, has an eternally important and a very specific purpose that we were created for by Him. Even though sometimes we don't see it. It's not because it isn't there. We don't see it because we don't always attend to His voice first. We listen to other voices instead. Sometimes it's the voice of worry. Sometimes it's the voice of fear or the voice of confusion. Sometimes it's the voice of busyness. All of these competing voices that drown out the voice of God if we let them. Voices that keep us from living and walking daily in the awestruck wonder of God's divine purpose that is inherently built into every single one of our lives. It's a very real problem for people today. In truth, it's always been a problem. As we'll see in our story this morning where we find Jesus addressing this very issue with his disciples as he teaches them how to live with purpose and so as we read the story ask yourself am I living with purpose the the role that God created me for am I faithfully listening to the voice that called my life into being or is that voice being drowned out by all of the other voices that I may be listening to because, look, God has much for us to do. There's much to be done, but we'll never accomplish even a fraction of what we could for him if we're striving outside of that purpose that he created us for. It, it is imperative that we learn to live with purpose. So let's turn together to John chapter 13. We're going to read the last three verses of that chapter. It's right where we left off last week. And then we'll continue on from there. These last three verses seem to have more of a connection with the narrative in chapter 14, to me at least, than they do uh, with chapter 13, which is why I saved them uh, for this morning. You know, when John wrote this gospel, he didn't put in chapter breaks and all the little subheadings, right? Men did that many, many, many years later. And so sometimes I'm not sure they got it always just right, but close enough, all right? So chapter 13, this is um, just after... They've shared their final meal together, Jesus and his disciples. And uh, he tells them that he's only going to be with them a little while longer. We'll pick the story up there. Verses 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So these three verses really set the tone for chapter 14 as Peter, clearly confused about Jesus' departure and the need for Jesus to die, speaks out of turn as he uh, was prone to do. And of course he means well, but he's listening to other voices, specifically the voices of confusion and self-confidence, pride really, More than he is the voice of Christ. So he blurts out that he wants to go with Jesus now, even to the point that he's willing to lay down his life for Jesus. And we know now that Peter does just that about three decades later, but not before Jesus lays down his life for them. And Jesus then explains to Peter that Peter will deny even knowing him before the third watch of the night. There were four Roman um, night watches, and because roosters in Palestine would crow consistently in the dark hours of early morning, the third watch, uh, which was between midnight and 3 a.m., became known as cock crow. And so Jesus tells Peter that Peter cannot do for Jesus what Jesus must first do for him. In fact, Peter's head full of steam here, his, his righteous fervor will soon be reduced to cursing and public denial of the Christ when he finds himself being interrogated by an angry mob after Jesus' arrest. D.A. Carson put it this way. He says, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. At this point in his pilgrimage, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outstrip his strength. (laughs) And so Jesus is trying to tell them that what... What he must do for them has to happen first, and he must do it alone. So they cannot follow him there now because none of us could do what Jesus alone could do. None of us could shoulder the weight of the sin of the world and make atonement for it. Jesus must do this alone, which he's been trying again to tell him. But Peter's listening to the wrong voices, as are the others. So there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion among them, which we'll see as we continue. And of course, Jesus knows that. And so as the story progresses, he begins to teach them how to live with purpose, which begins with listening to his voice above all others. Just listen to his very next statement to his disciples, chapter 14, the first four verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, this is nothing short of amazing. Because first of all, Jesus has already said that his soul is troubled, back in chapter 12, uh, verse 27, that his spirit is troubled, back in chapter 13, verse 21. And here he is on the night that he is facing the most overwhelming agony of his arrest and crucifixion the night when you'd expect comfort and strength to come from your closest friends and yet he's the one comforting and teaching and strengthening them he says let not your hearts be troubled and of course it's true they had good reason to be troubled Jesus has just told them that one of them was a traitor that all of them would eventually deny him and that that he would be leaving them that very night going to a place where they could not go. So, sure, there's plenty to be troubled about. And Jesus knows their hearts. He knows their fears. He gets that they're confused. But they're giving too much credence to the other voices in their lives. So he says, look, let not your hearts be troubled, which, which, by the way, is a command by Jesus. If you read it in the ancient Greek, it's the uh, present tense narrative. That's a command, which can also be translated as stop being troubled. So he commands them to stop worrying and then immediately following that instead of saying stop worrying because everything will be okay or I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. Stop worrying because I'm going to fix everything. No, before offering any concrete explanations for why they shouldn't worry, which he does do, but before he does that, the very next statement that he makes is what? Believe in God. Believe also in me. And this was no mere suggestion by Jesus either. The phrase believe in God is also translated as an imperative. It's a command. Furthermore, the Greek word for believe in this, uh, in this verse is the word pistuo. It, it represents a personal relational trust. So in other words, Jesus says, I'm commanding you to stop worrying. Stop listening to those other voices and instead believe my voice. Trust what, what I say you're worried because nothing is working out like you thought it would. Nothing is turning out according to your expectations. I understand, but all along, I've been telling you what's going to happen, and now it is time. It is time to listen, to really listen and believe my voice above all the others. And and this command by Jesus is as necessary for us today as it was for them then. If, If we're going to live with purpose, The very first command that we have to follow is to believe the voice of Jesus. I know that probably sounds obvious, especially to seasoned churchgoers, but listen, I bet if you polled all of the believers in the world and asked them, of all the commands that Jesus gave us, which is the most difficult for you to consistently obey? I am personally convinced that somewhere near the top of that list would be the command let not your hearts be troubled. Because so often we carry half the weight of the world around on our shoulders, and it affects us deeply we can't sleep we don't eat right we worry and stress which then affects our home life and our relationships and our performance at work and our performance at school it it affects big decisions that we're making we get so weighed down because our hearts are troubled when all the while he never intended for us to carry that weight And so the very moment after he commands us to not let our hearts be troubled he offers a second command that is the the key to obeying the first command he says believe in God believe also in me stop listening to those other voices and instead listen to my voice okay the, the key to not being weighed down by the voice of worry is to put all of our trust in his voice instead to to actually believe what he says when you feel that heaviness you see when you when you feel the weight of worry and stress, when you start telling yourself stories about how your situation is going to play out, when you begin to run all of the negative possible scenarios through your mind on that continuous loop, right? that's when it's time to stop. Stop what you're doing. Deny the impulse to listen to those other voices and listen, it's time to get alone with God. There are times when the only remedy for battling stress and fear in my own life is to dig deeply into his word, undistracted, or to step back from my situation and spend significant periods of time in prayer, or both. And and granted, (laughs) we all have responsibilities and schedules, so you may not be able to check out of life for eight hours straight and pray. I get it. But you may be able to get up a little earlier and get alone with God. You may be able to postpone a non-essential commitment here or there and deeply meditate on His Word instead. In fact, solitude in and of itself has a way of almost forcing us to shut out the other voices and listen to His voice because when all of the distractions are silenced and we are alone with nothing more than our thoughts and His Word and His voice, things have a way of becoming clearer. You may not know this, but pulling back from our circumstances and getting alone with God is something that every single one of us needs in our lives. You think about it. King David, you know that man had responsibilities, right? Distractions on top of distractions. He was leading a nation of people. There couldn't have been more pressures and strain pulling at a human being than there were in King David's life. And so how did he deal with that? He found a way to have times of solitude with the Lord. Psalm 63, 5 and 6, he said, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Why in the watches of the night? Well, probably because that was the only time in that man's life when he wasn't completely inundated with people and problems that needed solving. Even Jesus frequently sought out places of solitude to be alone with the Father. In Mark 1.35, after a long day and night of performing miracles and ministering to the crowds, Mark says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. You see, if, if it was good enough for Jesus, I'd say it's good enough for us. I love how one author put it. He wrote, after these mighty works, he feels the need of retirement to commune with God and keep his soul in proper tune for further work. If Jesus felt the need of prayer, How presumptuous in minor minds to excuse themselves from it. In other words, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. In fact, I'd say do whatever it takes to find a place of solitude with God, to silence those other voices so you can clearly hear his voice and then trust in that. Believe what he says when he speaks his word to you. That is the first command that Jesus offers his disciples here to being able to live with purpose. And then he goes on to reassure them that their future is secure. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. So all of that sounds great. Except they still haven't learned to completely trust his voice yet, which continues to be obvious as the other disciples now jump in with Peter and peppering Jesus with questions. Let's read verses 5 through 11. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If, If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So the disciples are still trying to figure out the way to the Father, which means they're searching for the way to a purposeful life. And Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life that you're looking for. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then verse 11, he repeats the command to believe in him. Okay, we we have to believe the voice of Jesus Christ. We also have to believe that Jesus is the only way. His voice is the only voice. He's the only way to living a life with purpose because we were designed and created to fulfill a divine purpose, and that can only be found in Christ. There is no other way. You won't find your ultimate purpose by making just the right career move at just the right time with a little bit of Jesus on the side in your life. You won't. You won't find your ultimate purpose in life by meeting just the right Christian person to marry. You won't find your purpose in life in any endeavor that is apart from Christ because He's the only way to the Father, which means He's the only way to living with true purpose the purpose that we were created for. But the problem that so many people run into is all of the other voices in our society that try to sell us on the idea that we can attain a purposeful life by other means. That Jesus is okay. You know, I don't hear a whole lot of people saying Jesus is not okay. Most people would agree. Jesus is okay. But look, we also need to own the right stuff. Enjoy the right hobbies. Make more money. We need to look better than everyone else. We need to gain status, position, power, influence. Pick your poison. There is no shortage of competing voices that want to convince us that living with purpose means living for yourself. Maybe a little Jesus sprinkled in on the side. But he was clear. There is no other way to find your purpose. He is the only way And the truth is there are a lot of people that acknowledge that. I'm just not sure how many people actually live like that. Again, at times, I'm talking to myself, guys, okay? I find myself struggling trying to find my purpose in things other than Jesus Christ. Because just like Peter and Thomas and Philip and, as we'll see, Judas, sometimes I listen to the other voices that distract me from his voice. And it is then that I have to take pause And take time to attend to the voice of Christ because he alone is the way and the truth and the life. And you will never live with purpose without him as the epicenter of your life. Okay, as we continue in the story, Jesus continues to show them now what a life of purpose looks like. Verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's quite a statement. He says, whoever believes in me, which you've probably figured out by now is a reoccurring theme in this uh, discourse here. Whoever believes in me, in my voice, We'll also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. To live a life of purpose, we have to believe the voice of Christ and only his voice. He's the only way. And then he goes on to say that we have to do the work that Jesus did. James said that faith without works is dead. By the way, that wasn't an original thought for James. He totally stole it from Jesus. He says it right here, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. So performing the works of Christ isn't even an option for those who truly believe in him. Jesus says we will do the works that he did and even greater works. And by the way, this passage is frequently misinterpreted to mean that we will perform more sensational miracles than Jesus did, but that's actually not what he was teaching here besides which you can't get much more spectacular than raising Lazarus from the dead after four days of rotting in the tomb, feeding thousands with a few fish and a few loaves of bread, commanding the weather at will. I wish I could do that more often. And changing water into wine. No, the the word works in this verse is the Greek word ergon. It has a far broader meaning than just signs or miracles. It includes signs, but it also includes his teaching. His evangelism, his works of mercy and compassion, it's the entire work of his ministry. It's all of his work. So when he says that we will do greater works, he means greater in magnitude. Why? Because he's he's in the process of establishing his church, a worldwide army of followers who will be empowered by his Holy Spirit to carry out the work that he started. And interestingly enough, after Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, there were more people converted in that one event than what's recorded during Jesus' entire ministry on earth. His followers were already performing works in even greater magnitude because they had been empowered by his Holy Spirit. So, do we believe in miracles today? Absolutely. Do we believe that the Spirit of Christ Work supernaturally through his people today. Yes, we do. And so because of that supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit, listen, we are able together as a body in unity, working together as the church, we are able to do greater works than Jesus, which is truly astounding if you think about it. We've not only been given the unbelievable privilege of carrying out his work And the power promised to us to be able to perform those greater works, as we'll see in a moment. But as well, we get to experience our purpose in life, being realized in this life, when we do the work that he did. And why do you think it is that people are never satisfied with more money? Why do people with power and influence always want more? Why do addictions never satisfy? There's always this craving for more. It's because all of those things are temporary. They don't last. But when we devote our time and energy to the work that Jesus did, by the power of His Holy Spirit, we experience results that are eternal. Just lead someone to Christ if you never have before. Fast and pray for someone until they're healed or delivered. Take care of someone who cannot take care of themselves. You you give out of your own need and work until you're exhausted for the sake of his church and his gospel. And then tell me there's no satisfaction, no sense of purpose in your life. No, you'll find, listen, you will find more purpose in serving Christ and in serving others than you can ever in serving yourself. That's a fact. Why? Because the results are eternal. Yet it's important to remember that we cannot perform those greater works in our own strength or by our own merit. We must rely on the strength and guidance of the Holy Spirit in us, as Jesus is careful to point out in this next section of the story. But just before we go there, I want to mention that verses 13 and 14 are often also taken out of context very often and then misapplied in all sorts of situations which happens any time we divorce a passage of Scripture from its content. Okay, We we cannot separate verses 13 and 14 from verse 12. 13 and 14 say, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I have no doubt that Jesus meant that. When he said it, but I also know that he meant it in the context of verse 12, where he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. In other words, Jesus will do anything we ask of him when we are in the midst of doing his work according to his will concerning that work. All right. Jesus isn't a cosmic vending machine where we put in a request and get whatever we want back out doesn't work that way. No, he's saying when you are doing my work obediently, according to my will, which I've commanded you to do now, then I will give you whatever you need. I will equip you and strengthen you and guide you in every way so that you will be able to complete that work that I've commanded you to do. And then as he continues, he's careful to point out the way that that provision comes to us. Let's keep reading. Verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus makes a promise to those who believe in him and do his work, who keep his commandments uh, which, by the way, happens to be a reference to the demands of God's covenant with his people back in Deuteronomy. And so just as the Father promised to be with his people as they obey his commands, so too Jesus here promises us that his spirit will be with us and in us as we carry out his work, which, which is really good news because we could never successfully carry out that work without his spirit. No way. If we're going to live with purpose, we must accomplish the work of Jesus by the power of of his spirit and because there is no other way to do the works that he did you see we we aren't smart enough we aren't clever enough or creative enough or talented enough or strong enough to accomplish his work without the power of the holy spirit operating in and through us many people have tried i've tried a few times and fails every time I'll tell you it's easy when you've experienced some success in ministry it's easy to start believing that you're all that in a bag of chips but I'm telling you right now nothing will bring an overinflated ego back to the earth quicker than trying to do the ministry on your own strength and ability because that is an absolutely guaranteed recipe for failure it doesn't work it may look good for a little while but it's all smoke and mirrors and eventually it will fail how many ministries have collapsed just in our lifetime when men and women decided they could handle it without the guidance and empowering supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in their lives you can't drive a car without fuel right if you're like me you can't drive one without a GPS either I can barely find my way to my own parents house they live next door to me by the way The car may look really good in the driveway, but without some fuel and a good navigation system, I'm not going anywhere. If we're to live a life of purpose, that will mean doing the work that Jesus did. And the only way, the only way that's going to happen is by relying on the power of his spirit in us, which means listening to the voice of his spirit in our lives. And again, it's quieting those other voices that speak fear and confusion and misunderstanding and worry learning to listen for and rely on the voice of His Spirit, which can come to us in many ways, through His Word, through others, through times of prayerful solitude we talked about with Him, sometimes even guides us through our circumstances. The point being that because we have His Holy Spirit in us, we are never alone. We are assured a life of purpose as long as we learn to rely on that voice above all others. Just listen to what he says to his disciples, verses 18 through 24. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus assures us that his Spirit will be with us and that he loves us. He never assured us a trouble-free life. Right? He, in fact, we're guaranteed trouble in this life if we follow Christ. But he says your heart doesn't have to be troubled in the midst of the trouble you're facing. It's a big difference. Think about the risk that the greatest champions of the faith, that the, the disciples took. Some of them were crucified upside down. Yeah, we'll have trouble in this life. But he says... I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you because he loves us. It's not that his love for us, by the way, is contingent upon our performance as we're able to keep his commandments. The Pharisees proved out that failed experiment beyond a shadow of a doubt. We cannot earn his love. No, he's saying that he loves his followers and his followers' lives are characterized by obedience. We are obedient because we love him, and the only reason we're even able to do that is because he first loved us. John teaches us that in 1 John 4, 19. And then, as Jesus finishes out his teaching to his disciples, he bookends the lesson with the same encouragement that he started with. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let's finish our story for today. Verse 25 to the end. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. See, in the midst of our trouble, we have peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So Jesus basically summarizes his teaching here to his disciples it's almost a last will and testament to them how to live with purpose he says not as the world gives do i give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid in other words don't allow the other voices in the world to drown out my voice with worry and fear because my voice is the only way to peace and purpose You don't even have to strive under your own strength because my spirit will be with you as you do my work and he will guide you and teach you and strengthen you all along the way. And by the way, when Jesus says that he gives us his peace, the word peace in both the Greek and Hebrew has such a deeper, much richer meaning than our English version of the word. In the Greek here, it's the word irene and it isn't just the absence of turmoil. Among other things, it means to be set at one again. Larry Pierce describes it as the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Beautiful peace that he gives us. Living with purpose means living in the peace of Christ as we attend to his voice above all others. It's believing that voice knowing that he's the only way to a life of purpose and then we do that work that he calls us to by the power of his spirit that's what a life of purpose looks like listen that's his intention for you and me your very life is infused with awe and wonder for a very specific purpose He created you to live a life full of purpose. And my question this morning is, are you living in that purpose? The role that God created you for, are you faithfully listening to the voice that called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Or is that voice being drowned out by all of the others that compete for your attention? Attending to his voice may mean that some things may have to change in our lives but i'm telling you there's no better life than the one spent living out the very purpose that he created you for let's pray